right, welcome everyone to another episode of the Commerce Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Zakwitz. In today's discussion, we're going to talk about managing an in-house digital marketing team. We'll talk about balancing culture with growth, performance goals, and a whole lot more. To join me in today's discussion is Ryan Dobrin, Director of Marketing at Sylvain. So welcome, and thanks for being here, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for having me, Greg. So Ryan, you live in Atlanta. Have you ever eaten at El Grill? El Grill, I have not. So it's probably a little out of the way for you. It's uh, close to Jimmy Carter Boulevard in 85, so I guess that's technically Norcross area. Yeah. Atlanta used to be my old stomping ground. It is a shack in the middle of a parking lot. It is unbelievable. I just wrote it down. I'll have to visit. Uh, hopefully the area has gotten better since I was there. <laughs> but it was uh, it was good nonetheless, so I highly recommend it. So, Ryan, we ran into each other at IRC, and looking at Twitter, uh, you won a Oculus Rift at IRC, correct? I won a... VR headset, not a full system. Ah. So full system would have been nice. Have you had a chance to use it or is it kind of sitting there because you don't have the full system? It is and for Android phones only, which I don't have. So I gave it to a, a member of my team who is with me. So he, he, enjoyed, he enjoyed that quite a bit. So I think he's used it. All right. Very cool. Uh, I, was, yeah. I, I saw that. I'm like, oh, I wonder how that is. Because I've never had a chance to try. Actually, I've had a chance to try one. I never actually tried one. Yeah, we're... We were looking. It was pretty neat. Uh, we have a couple people here who have full VR systems, so we've had demo days in the office. They're they're a lot of fun. I re- I recommend it. Is it right now? I'm assuming it's just all gaming. Is that what you're doing with it? Yeah, that that's pretty much what we use it for. It's gaming, and it's actually a lot of exercise that you can do with them, which is which is pretty neat. Kind of like when the Wii came out, and people use it for exercise. I think people are doing that with the VR systems as well. Ah, very cool. So, Ryan, before we begin, why don't you set the stage a little bit, give the audience a quick background about yourself and kind of the makeup of the team you lead over at Sylvain. Okay. Yeah. Real quick, I uh, I got my degree in marketing and um, started my career in the kind of traditional marketing and sales support role and a couple years after that which is about five or six years ago came on with sylvain to dabble a little bit in the online marketing world and run some ppc accounts and just kind of went from there started to build up the team and now we're a nice little team just doing all sorts of online marketing we've got we've got ppc channels we've got a big seo focus we have people doing email social media affiliate marketing Um, there's about four of us on the team right now yeah, just trying to hit. We're a pure play online retailer, so just trying to hit every touch point we can and try to drive traffic to our site. And what type of products does Sylvain sell? We sell indoor air products, um, mostly for your home. Uh, so dehumidifiers, air purifiers, portable ACs, window ACs, kind of along that line of items. Perfect. So you mentioned, which was really my first question, that you have people in their hands in a variety of different channels there. Is that everyone on your team who's dabbling a little bit from here to there? Or do you have people specifically focused on one particular channel, whether it's paid search, email? We ha- we have people specifically focused uh, on channels. Um, a couple of our PPCs kind of split up among people, but um, we don't have everybody dabbling in everything. I think I'm probably the only one who does that right now. But each person kind of has their own responsibilities and is in charge of their own channels. Um, and is kind of becoming the expert in those channels, which is pretty neat. And each of them have probably done and managed some of the other channels before. So they do have that experience in there so we can help each other out. But as far as day to day and weekly reporting, and it's kind of responsible for what they're, what they're working in. From your standpoint, do you have those individual members of the team? Do you guys have weekly, bi-weekly meetings where everyone kind of talks about what they're doing? How much overlap and planning is there? Because that, that has to be something where... 
you know, for, and a lot of organizations are like this where you have people, if they're laser focused on one channel or one particular aspect of a job, that a lot of times they're so focused on that, they, I don't want to say care less about other areas, but it's just not a higher priority for them. Do you guys get together and coordinate? Because I'm assuming at, from a digital side, you have to coordinate promotions and things like that from uh, a consolidated effort. But how often do you guys get together and actually share from one team member to the next? Yeah, no, definitely. As a marketing team, we get together once a week, every Friday. We do reporting on Thursdays and I have a, we have a manager team meeting and kind of the department heads meet on Thursdays to go through the week and look at some numbers. So the next day, the marketing team gets together. We can share what each other are doing. Obviously, what SEO is seeing and natural traffic is very beneficial for for PPC, kind of giving them ideas back and forth. I give notes on what's happening in the other departments. Like you said, what promotions are going on, what new products we're getting, uh, what the seasonality is looking like. So yeah, we have a very, I mean, we have a document where we have our KPIs and we go through how we did each week and then kind of what we're working on. So we all are on the same page and we're kind of a, as you said, it, it's good for it's good for everyone to know what's going on in the company and, and that transparency really helps us focus on our channels. You hear a lot about culture. So you guys are obviously meeting on a weekly basis. You're interacting. I'm assuming everyone sits pretty close to one another. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah. Yeah. We've got one office, one location. Everyone's kind of in the same area. All right. How is the how's the banter between the individual people? Is it you come in the work, you do your job for you know, eight, nine hours straight, you're busy, or is there enough time? Obviously, you guys are doing demo days and things like that, so you're having some sort of fun there. What's that culture like? How much, what's the interaction look like between team members? Uh, do they, you know, just sit back at, from time to time, tell jokes and, and do things like that, or is it more, uh, you know, business at business and then play afterward? Yeah, uh, it's kind of give and take depending on the day. Um, there'll be days where people are in here and say, man, it's really quiet. Does anyone actually work here? And there'll be other days where everyone's kind of in the, we've got some common areas in the middle of the office uh, with TVs and obviously the food and drinks and all that where people are, are talking. So it's give and take. Everyone kind of knows what their job is and is laid back. And if you're working collaboratively with somebody, you'll you'll go and talk to them. But it's it's really give and take depending on the day. We've We've done a really good job of really learning each other's work style and social styles and we kind of know when to kind of get up and go talk to somebody in person or when to leave them alone and um, we all each have our individual offices and then in the middle we have a lot of desks and other common areas so if someone's in their office and kind of closed off you know to leave them alone or if sometimes I'll take my laptop and go work out in the middle and people know it's okay to kind of socialize so it's really different day to day and We've done a really good job of being everyone being respectful and knowing how to approach each other. So how important do you think it is for team members to to get along really well? And I, I say that obviously in a perfect world, you want everyone to get along and everyone to be best friends. But, you know, the world's not perfect and not everyone loves the people they work with. Do you find that just that general confrontation of, oh, I don't really care for that person that much is in some manners good for an organization? Or do you think that just has the potential to just blow up at any time and you try to avoid it at all, at all costs? If they really don't like each other, that's really not good. Kind of how we're set up, but people might not like coming to work that day working on projects. If it's respectful confrontation where I think this differently than you think and we work through it, I think that's very healthy for an organization and we do that a lot. But if it's a if it's a true dislike for that person because one person feels like they're being disrespected or one person feels like they're being stepped all over that that's that's something we've got to we've got to nip in the bud and and, and kind of take a step back and 
and figure out what we need to do. But but that respectful back and forth and disagreements, that's just natural. And, that, and that's that's a healthy thing. So we, we welcome that. You know, culture is one of these big words that I, I think most companies now are, are touting and they yeah. talk about just from uh, more so from a consistency standpoint. It's a big thing at Brown. So obviously we focused as a small startup culture. We focus very heavily on maintaining that culture through the the acquisitions over the past couple of years. And I think we've done a really good job of it. Do you hire based on cultural fit? Is that a smaller aspect of the hiring process? Is it a bigger one? How much does the cultural fit play into prospects that come in for new positions? No, it plays a lot into that. We um, Even during the recruiting process, the interview process, the hiring process, and even while we work here, we kind of look at it as a 50-50. It's 50% skill and results and how you're doing in your job, and then 50%, do we think this person is going to be a culture positive? That's kind of a term we use around here a lot. It's probably become cliche around here, but kind of in our reviews, half of it is how you're doing, how you're doing in your channels, how your numbers look, and the other half is are you culture positive? And we and we look at that, like you said, from the from the first phone screening interview um, to when the person comes into the office, and that's a huge thing that what we look at. It's it's easy to kind of teach a lot of these skills and see if people can dabble in these in these channels, but um, as far as being a cultural fit, it's it's hard to work around that. So that's a big part of our hiring process. I've got to believe one of the challenges for managers or someone like yourself, uh, when you're dealing with your team members, they obviously have, I think everyone in the world has goals they need to meet, right? You have these performance objectives and you might love the person. You can banter with them like you're your best friend. They're a cultural fit. Everything's great. But then you've got to maintain that culture while still having hard lines and still having expectations of achievement and performance goals. How do you balance that overall conversation with someone that maybe falls short of something, but you have a better cultural and relaxed uh, attitude and fit with them? That's a good question. And that is something that's tough. I'm a very people person. So I really become attached with people. And that's part of our culture is, like I said, 50-50 looking at 50% 50% of what we do is look at culture and get to know each other and the camaraderie. So it is kind of tough, but um, you said, what you said is expectations, and that's a big part of it. Um, we do set attainable goals and expectations, and there's transparency. And there's regular uh, reviews that people know are coming on. So there is that sense of, I do know what I need to be doing in my job, get your work done, that whole, that old cliche, work hard, play hard. So kind of comes from the top down. We have that transparency. We have those expectations. We do know that we like to have fun and banter with each other, but we do know at the end of the day, I mean, we start our mark. We don't start our marketing meetings with, with anything, but Hey, how did we do this week? And everyone is really invested in that. So I think the, the transparent expectations really helps that because if the other person kind of knows that their numbers aren't looking good that's it's pretty they know that and that's not something that's gonna you're gonna you're gonna surprise them with so you guys don't have like an airing of the grievances like they did in seinfeld right (laughs) no no festivus poll in here (laughs) how do you balance setting goals for your team members I, i come at it from this perspective right a lot of times when you have close cultural fit or close knit relationships with team members, I think there's a tendency to say, hey, let's try to push the boundaries here because it's harder for that person to say no or to throw up hesitations because they don't want to, they don't want to upset, I say the friend, but they don't want to accept someone that they're a little more friendly with. But you also, I, I, I find that managers often look at that and say, hey, I know I can push the buttons here and 
and try to drive to a higher goal percentage for him. But maybe at this person over here, I can still push, but I, I know I can't push too hard for him. How do you balance setting goals knowing that you have individual team members who may or may not be able to accomplish those? Is that the way I phrased that clear? Yeah, I think I know what you're asking. And, and for us, it kind of makes it easy because our goals are set on a quarterly basis and we set them at a top level company revenue level first. And that and that number is always kind of based on what each channel believes their channel is going to do. Then we take that to our teams and kind of share that. And we look in each of our channels and say, hey, were we up year over year more or less than the company last year? This is the company goal. Do we think we can attain that? How are we doing right now? And we really kind of talk back and forth. It's not a it's not a hierarchical thing once that number is there. It's, hey, do you think you can hit this number? If yes, cool. If no, no, why not? Um, and we really try to look at it on a case-by-case -case basis. But I think the fact that it kind of comes from a company revenue goal and everyone sees that number in the break room every day and everyone knows that number, that's something everyone really fights for and really wants to get. And if we hit that quarterly number, we have fun outings and things like that. So that's, even if someone doesn't think they can maybe hit that, it's something they're going to strive for because they feel like they'll be rewarded for it. Do you guys do, uh, I obviously have weekly meetings where you talk about things like this, but do you do say, I know quarterly, it's only, you know, the three month period, but do you do like halfway check-ins as a, uh, an overall company, as a team, as a department, do you guys do anything like that? Or is it more just weekly keep pace of things and then see where we hit at the end of the quarter? Yeah, as far as really digging into the numbers, it's really a quarterly thing. We do have, I think it's every three weeks now, it used to be every two weeks, but every three weeks we kind of, as a team in the front lobby and break room area there's a big area so we just everyone kind of whoever's there that day gathers in a huge circle and it's like uh, our ceo starts off with hey this is how we're doing for the quarter this is how the numbers are looking and then everyone kind of goes around and real briefly just says what they're working on and um so it is a way for everybody to see each other and for everyone to at least have an idea of of how we're doing but as far as really digging into the numbers and really kind of talking about what needs to be done to hit those it's it's kind of a up to each individual team and then kind of a management level initiative. With having the openness with your team members inside the company, you have the number you want to hit on a quarterly basis, you said in the break room, so there, people are always looking at it. How do, do your team members openly provide suggestions, say out of the blue, or is there a formal process for, hey, I think we should tackle this marketing initiative or we should tackle this particular project because I think it'll help. How does that kind of vet out internally? Because that, from my own standpoint, that's something I've always tried to do in positions I've held is what are we doing? How do we refine what we're doing to make it better? And then what else can we do beyond that? And sometimes it's an uphill fight with upper management to say, hey, this is why we should do it. You know, it might not be for the next three, six months, you're going to see those returns, but 12, 18, 24 months down the road, that's when it's going to really pay off for you. How do you guys balance that internally? Is there a formal process they follow? Do they just come to you and say, hey, Ryan, I got this great idea. Let's chat about it and see if it's uh, effective and how high up does that need to go for approval? Yeah, if it, it's kind of a balance between being formal and informal. If some of my team comes and has an idea for how to improve or enhance um, the channel that they're in, say my AdWords guy comes to me and says, hey, I, have a, I want to go try this in AdWords. I talked to our rep and he thinks it would be a really good idea. Can I do it? If it doesn't take any tech resources or really any other teams, then it's just going to be him. And, and we want to 
throw a little bit of money on it. It's something I could say, yeah, you're the expert in that channel. Let's let's go ahead and track it. Go ahead and try it. But if it's going to involve a lot of other teams and a lot of other work and become a big project, it does become a little more formal. We have a um, we have a ticketing system we use um, where things get prioritized biweekly, and um, we have projects every couple of weeks. Um, if it's something that's big enough that it's going to take a few months and involve multiple teams, it could become a, a larger company project that's a little more visible. So it just depends who's involved and I guess how much money is, is it's going to cost. Um, but as far as if, as far as with my team, if it's in their channel and it's really just them or maybe even me kind of working on it, then we're kind of, we're kind of open to, to trying things. Very cool. I'm going to jump around a little bit. Yep. We talked a little bit about hiring for culture and things like that. How do you maintain that culture as you guys do get larger as an organization because it's one of those challenges as you go from say 10 people to 50 people to 100 people to 150 people where things are going to change how do you guys maintain that internally yeah that's a good question so a lot of it is you really have to invest in that growth and invest in your employees and um, we're not we're not at the 100 employee level we're still in the 30s so it's still a little we're still small enough where it's it's easy enough for people to know each other but we do we do monthly lunches where everybody on every team is sits together we do outings um, where everybody goes and everybody gets to talk to each other um, there's enough cross team work where where things kind of cross paths so like the content team's all on our merchandising team but obviously my my team works a lot with the content team so there's just daily interactions and then daily fun things we do and it's just a real authenticity um, which is something that's not tangible but kind of from the top down you can really tell that the ceo is authentic and wanting everyone to have a good work-life balance and be happy at work and that kind of comes down to the managers where we do the same thing so i would say you've got to really in, invest in your employees and be authentic about it so investing in things like group lunches and, and things like that are great i think they certainly help just uh the overall day-to-day -day there do you do you guys do any sort of individual recognition or rewards to employees when either goals are met or something or is it more just celebrate team success um, the more public things is celebrating team success if someone's hit kind of a yearly milestone here we'll call that out um, but but publicly really the only real recognition is um, kind of the team team activities if if someone has been working on a big project everyone likes to give credit so they'll call them out in that that big that big team or company-wide meeting I was talking about, but no real formal thing. Um, kind of internally within our team and kind of manager to employee, there's a lot of recognition that goes on um, as far as kind of compensation and bonuses and things like that. But as far as as far as public recognition, it's more of a this is a, it's it's a team effort and everybody's invested in attaining this revenue goal. And if there is something specific someone worked on, that people will know that they worked on it. When it comes to managing a, a digital marketing team, what's the biggest challenge that presents? Um, constant change and competition. There's always something new to be doing. There's always someone else that's outbidding you. There's we don't set crazy growth goals, but I mean our goal every quarter we don't really have goals to not grow and we've consistently grown for i mean this company's 15 16 years old now and um ever since i since i've been here we've grown almost every single quarter so just staying up to pace without kind of killing ourselves is probably the most challenging thing and always kind of trying to be one step ahead I've got to believe just from our conversations and knowing you a little bit, you're not a micromanager. Is that is that correct? I'm not at all. When I find myself 
starting to micromanage, it's when I when I really have to take a step back and and reevaluate a lot of things. So no, I am I am the opposite of a micromanager. I'm assuming you have team members or either current or in the past that while you don't need to micromanage them and they don't want to be micromanaged, they're a little more check-in heavy, right? So before they do something, they maybe send you an email, hey, I'm going to do this, or I uh, just want to get your quick thoughts on this. So there's more communication with that individual person than you would say the rest of the team. What is the challenge of that point to provide them guidance and reassurance on things versus trying to train them to, hey, have a little more confidence in either what you're doing or, hey, I trust you to do your job. You know, go ahead and just just execute, and let's talk about results afterward. Do do you have a struggle with that balance? And what is your typical approach for handling a situation like that? I wouldn't say it's necessarily a struggle, but I would say I I mean, and every person on my team's the same. I say I trust you to do your job. You're welcome to go ahead and do things, but I am always here to help. I'm always here to give you that approval that you need. If it became a little overbearing, I I would just I, I would approach that a little differently maybe but I, I I do let them know and give them that confidence that hey I trust you to do this and I think the fact that I do that makes them want to at least say hey I'm gonna do this just so you know and I, I have seen that a lot instead of saying can I it's more of a I'm gonna do this let's chat about it after in a couple of weeks and let's see how it's doing um, but I am always there to say I am here to help if you need me to do anything at all to help you with it um, and I think that it gives them the confidence to know that they can do it, but if they run into some trouble, I, I'm not just saying, go do it, leave me alone. Employees are different, right? Some employees like verbal recognition, some like physical gifts, whether that's a gift cards or just something like that. It's just nature of human beings. Mm-hmm. Because people are different, there's usually at some point some contention between people, right? It's idea, point, counterpoint. Hey, I've got this great idea. I don't think this is going to work, and here's why. How do you handle internal not argument, but internal disagreements with whether it be strategic direction or just if you're doing a kind of postmortem on the past quarter and saying, hey, this is where we missed. Maybe this is what we should have done. And someone says, no, we did everything right. It's just the way the quarter fell for us. How do you handle those uh, employees when they're having those discussions? Yeah, I mean, the numbers kind of prove themselves. So a lot of the, if we're arguing about what we should work on next, maybe it's, hey, which one's from a time and money perspective, which one's going to provide the biggest ROI for us? If it's looking back and saying, oh, we could have done something different or no, we couldn't have, we track pretty much everything we do, look at the weather. Obviously, we're a seasonal company. And if if you can kind of prove with numbers and everything, I mean, come, come at me with come at me with the data and, and we'll go from there. So we like to prove out everything um, and the numbers speak for themselves for the most part. Um, so we haven't really had those issues because of that. And then talking about growth, individual growth uh, for employees. So you obviously manage a team, and that team probably has members of it that want to continue to advance in the company, whether it's in that department or shift to a different department where the opportunity lies. How do you balance training and continuing professional development for your team members, knowing that at some point if they switch to a different department or they kind of outpace the job they're at. You, you need to fill that gap somewhere. So what's your stance on professional development? What do you do uh, or what do you like to do for your employees that uh, kind of let them follow their own path in some respects? Yeah, so because we're a pretty flat organization, the better we do in our individual channels, the more opportunity there's going to be to add more things to our repertoire. So I've had people who are managing one channel and 
we said, oh, we, we're, we're, we're ready to go try something else. Let's, I'm going to throw you our affiliate channel as well. Um, so it's more of a kind of a horizontal growth, but kind of more responsibilities and uh, as we grow as a team. As far as kind of professional development, we send people to conferences and let them network and see what's out there. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think we, we don't have a real formal professional development per se, but we do, we're pretty open about it and we're pretty happy to let people and lend people a hand to, to kind of grow. What is your personal philosophy on cross-training employees to do multiple areas? And you mentioned earlier in the conversation, you know, we have people who are kind of becoming experts in the things they do. So your SEO and, you know, email marketing and things like that. So not as opposed to cross-training saying, hey, this guy's an email, we're going to train him also how to do SEO, but to have that, that basic or fundamental knowledge of each of those different areas. What's your belief on that? And, and that could come in a variety of ways, right? A monthly one-hour boot camp that your SEO person delivers to the rest of the digital marketing team. Do you guys do anything like that or, or practice any sort of uh, initiatives where you kind of cross-train someone, not to the full extent of becoming an expert, but to get the fundamental knowledge? So if that person's on vacation, someone steps in and easily does it. Because I'm assuming you step in and do it if that person's on vacation. Yeah, no, we do have some formal things that we do. Um, something that you even mentioned, our, our SEO person, she, I mean, she has a, a monthly and quarterly updates with our content team saying this is what's going on in the SEO world. This is how it relates to you. Our sales and service team that really gets to know a lot of, about the products, they get trained by our merchandisers when we add new products. So everyone knows kind of how the products work. Yeah, so we, we do do those things. Um, what was the second part of your question? Just providing ideas on, you know, if your SEO person goes on vacation, you have that someone else on the team has that fundamental knowledge to step in and do the job. My assumption was that you do it when that person is out, but that could be a poor assumption. Yeah, I do it for the most part if anyone really needs to check in on anything. Um, we do have most of our processes documented. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Confluence. Sure. It's a Atlassian product. So at the least, we have like passwords and logins and a little bit of a step-by-step -step of almost everything we would look at on a daily basis. So if, it, if worse came to worse, we could hop in there and try to figure it out. So learning how to manage a team uh, is something that no one's really born with, right? It's something that takes time and you learn as you go, like everything else in life. What's the biggest mistake you've made as growing as a team leader? Probably getting lost in the weeds a little bit too much sometimes. I said 50% of my job is supposed to be kind of trying new things, but every once in a while I will get stuck in the, in the channels that that other people are already working on and maybe probably the biggest mistake I've had is just wasting weeks or so at a time digging into something that somebody else could have been digging into. So I, not, not necessarily micromanaging them, but maybe spending too much time for myself trying to make it, make it better than it is. I don't know if that's a good answer, but that's probably, probably when I, on a Friday afternoon when I'm at home and my wife asked me how my week was, the weeks where I say uh, I wasn't a great week, it's because I was working on something I shouldn't have been working on. Uh, if it's an honest answer, it's a good answer. That's how I go with it. Yeah, yeah. Do you ask any of those off-the-wall interview questions, like what type of tree would you be if you were a tree? I don't. Um, really, the point of the, a lot of the interviews for me is to, one, just see if I think they can one day do the job or one day soon do the job. And two is just, I, we really just talk back and forth. I ask them a lot about themselves, what kind of music they listen to, about how they grew up. Um, so it's not an off the wall question, but there is a lot of, not big and deep personal, but a lot of just personal conversation. Um, just getting to know that person, me kind of putting in my head, was this 
somebody that I'm going to get along with on a day-to-day basis? Is this person going to get along with the people that they're going to be working with the most? Um, so we, we do a lot of non-work-related questions, but I, I don't ask the NAO the I was what I was watching the NBA Combine the other day, and a lot of the guys were like, "Yeah, everyone just asks if we were to die, how would we want to die tonight?" And we don't ask any of those weird questions. <laughs> That's a creepy question. I know. I I listen to a lot of. Uh, I'm a big basketball fan, so I listen to a lot of NBA podcasts, and I heard three or four different rookies say that they were asked that question this year, and I just kept thinking that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. It's kind of creepy. I'm a big hockey fan, among other sports, but. The team I root for a couple of years ago, they were asking one of the potential draftees, uh, you know, what what would stop you from being the most complete player you could be? And his aunt, he just looked at him stone cold, went death. Yeah. And I, I, that's a good answer. Have you ever been asked one of those weird questions in an interview? I have not actually. I haven't been asked anything that off the wall. So, what kind of music do you listen to? Because you mentioned you you'll sometimes ask people what kind of music they're into. I listen to a lot of music. I really like hard rock and hard rap is what I'm really into. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the band Humphreys McGee, but they're kind of a pro- progressive hard rock band, and kind of whatever spawns off of that is what I find myself listening to the most. All right, so if you're in an interview and you have someone in there and they say, oh, I love Celine Dion, she is just my absolute favorite. You know, I've seen her 50 times. Does that throw up a red flag for you? It doesn't. I love Celine Dion. My mom grew up with, I grew up with my mom listening to her. I could probably sing some songs with them. We can watch Titanic. It's one of my favorite movies. So it wouldn't be a red flag, but it might look at him a little funny. Now, Titanic, that guy just cheated on his girlfriend, right? Is that, am I remembering that correctly? Oh, I don't know. Did he have a girlfriend back home? Or maybe she had a boyfriend? I don't know. People. She, she was in, she was about to get engaged and she was the one kind of running off with Leo. Yeah, see, I don't get that because people, girls love the notebook, right? My wife loves notebook. And I'm like, well, she's just cheating on her fiance. I'm like, why do you love this? Because they hate when guys cheat. And then it's it's true love when you know, you know, <laughs> fair point. Uh, all right. One final question before I get out, get you out of here on a game show question. Are you a, pri- well, I guess a couple questions. Are you a prime member? I am. What was the main reason for becoming a prime member for you? My wife orders probably one thing a day and she signed up for it. Um, no, we, we like to read a lot and just have the convenience. My wife actually grew up not in a big city, so she's used to shopping online. And yeah, so that's that's why we signed up, just the convenience of being able to look for almost anything and have it on our doorstep the next day. Cool. Did you shop on Prime Day this year? I browsed. I didn't actually buy anything. Did you? Uh, I am not a Prime member, so no, okay. I did not. Okay. Uh, I bought an elliptical the day before Prime Day, though. Okay. Uh, yeah, I broke my old my old one. Working out too hard. Uh, apparently, I, I mean, yeah. I snapped like the metal leg that the foot pedal sits on. I literally snapped the thing in half. <laughs> so I'm like, wow, strength in my left leg. Apparently, that's know, crazy. Right? It was eight years old, so I got my money's out of it. Money's worth. Yeah, yeah, that's good. All right, so I'm going to get you out of here on a game show question. I should probably get a timer ready here. Are you familiar with the concept of what I do with game show questions? Um, yeah, I've heard a couple of them. Obviously, I'm going to change a question because I assume you might have uh, done your research on me. So I'm going to give you 15 seconds here. I want you to name as many flavors of ice cream as you can in 15 seconds. Go. I mean, chocolate chip, chocolate chip, vanilla, strawberry, chocolate, cookie dough, rainbow, um, peach, coffee, uh, caramel. Uh, Time. Uh, that's all I got. They got 11. It's pretty good. Yep. That's, almost one a, that's almost one a second. Okay. I said mint chocolate chip, and then my head just kind of started 
drifting a little bit, craving mint chocolate chip <laughs> ice cream. So I probably probably got lost there. Excellent. So uh, Ryan Dober and Director of Marketing at Sylvain, thank you very much for the insightful conversation today. I really enjoyed having you as a, as a guest today. Anything I neglected to ask you in closing comments you want to make about things to do or not do when running a in-house digital team? Uh, I don't know. I think you did a good job asking, but I would just say just continue to really invest in both sides of it invest in your growth but also invest in your employees and and really have that transparency so everybody kind of knows knows how to be successful um it's it's very important for everyone to be on the same page and that that lends into that great culture um that would also lead to growth and that's kind of how we do it so it's different for it's going to be different for everybody but but those are kind of the main aspects excellent thanks ryan and thanks everyone for listening to another episode of the commerce marketer podcast we'd love your feedback on the show so please let us know how we're doing and be sure to join us for our next episode and until then have a great day everyone